joining us today. So glad to have her, Kavita Ganesan. She is the author of The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide to AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. Welcome to the show, Kavita. Yeah, thank you for having me, David. So one of the things, when when we have broad, complicated topics, and, and I certainly think this qualifies, I like to kind of set the the landscape or the, the, the ground rules a little bit to make sure we're talking about the same thing or that, that we even know in some cases what we are talking about it. So uh, we're talking about artificial intelligence, AI, how it for, informs the kinds of decisions we can, uh, we can make at work. But why don't you kind of give us the layman's uh, definition of what it is we're talking about and, and maybe second to that, the the difference between how you might use it in your computer science lab in, a, in an academic or research setting and how I might use it at, you know, my office or IBM or, or something like that. Yeah. So AI is all about trying to mimic human decision making within a computer and using uh, software programs. And the way AI systems today work is by learning from data. So let's take a credit card. Uh, let's, let's say you're trying to detect fraudulent transactions, credit card transactions. Mm-hmm. So the way the AI systems today learn is by looking at thousands of different uh, examples of what makes a transaction fraudulent or non-fraudulent. And then it, it mines the patterns from that. And then the next time it sees a new transaction, it then decides, hey, this seems suspicious, so it might be fraudulent. So that's how systems today learn. But uh, historically, they have been very rules-based. And in the future, it may not even be data-dependent anymore. So right now, it's highly uh, data-dependent. And from a business perspective, uh, AI systems are very good in like improving efficiency of workflows. So let's say uh, right now, your customer service agent is manually routing tickets to the appropriate teams to get things resolved. So if you put an AI system there, it can do that very efficiently, 24 hours a day, and maybe even more accurately than your your agent, your human agent. But from a research perspective, in a research lab, that's not how we look at things. We are not looking at what benefits there can be uh, to a business. So we are thinking about how can we get better? How can technique one, um, how can technique two become better than technique one? So we are always looking at incremental improvements, either through better data or better techniques. Um, so we're always trying to beat the state of the art. So the, so it's kind of different what happens in the research world versus what's mm-hmm. happening in the business world. Uh, and the business world, we have to be completely focused on the applications of it, how it's going to help us, uh, really. There's probably not a, a day that goes by that that I don't come across AI in in Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever your your source of of, uh, of news is. Uh, it's certainly, you know, mm-hmm. on the minds of of, uh, of business leaders today. Is it currently in it in its in its in the state that we use it today, is it is it kind of the purview of of large corporations, IBM's and Google's and and Tesla's, uh, or are you seeing the use of AI filter down to more medium sized businesses, or yeah. even in some cases small businesses? 
So there are two groups that I see that are that have really embraced AI, and that's the large corporations, mm-hmm. and that's specifically on the tech sector, not mm-hmm. in other industries, and mm-hmm. startups. These AI startups are very good in using AI, and they're very efficient because they're small, they're nimble, they know how to um, adopt new technologies and just run with it. Um, and then the large corporations on the tech side, they are already very AI driven. Their infrastructure is set up for AI. So these two groups are running fast with AI. But I think there's the group in between the mid-sized businesses. They are thinking about AI, but they just don't know how to get started because there's so much of confusion in the media. Like what's happening in research gets um, overstated as the current capabilities. Well, yeah. in your your book, you talk about mm-hmm. some of the misconceptions mm-hmm. and, and the myths around uh, AI that that we should all be aware of. Why don't you specifically outline a, a couple of the more predominant ones? Yeah, sure. So the first myth that people think is that they need to use the latest and greatest technique that mm-hmm. the media is talking about, but really the latest and greatest techniques are very still in the R and D phase, and they may not fit in your infrastructure within your infrastructure. You may have um, an old infrastructure that can maybe take in basic computer algorithms, not something sophisticated that needs GPUs and TPUs. Um, so, and you have to keep in mind that AI has been there since the 1940s. So the techniques are already very old. It's only become popular now because of the computation power that we have. So using any one of those techniques that can benefit your business is a good technique. So not to worry about what's being discussed in the media. I don't necessarily want to make this a history lesson, but you just told me something I absolutely was not aware of. And that is, you know, seven decades, give or take of of AI. So without supercomputers and the computational power that we have today, how was AI used in the 1940s, the 1950s? I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. So back in the days, it was like heavily rules based. Uh, you have to encode human knowledge in the form of mm-hmm. like specific rules. Uh, and they also had started neural networks research long ago, but that research kind mm-hmm. of stopped because insufficient computation power. And then it picked up again, I think around 2011, when uh, big data became a thing, then we had lots of faster computation power, and then it just accelerated from that. And neural networks now has become deep learning. And that's a big mm-hmm. field of study now. Yeah. You talk uh, again in your book about some kind of the five basic pillars mm-hmm. of AI preparation and, mm-hmm. and the AI landscape. Why don't you you go into a little bit of those, if you would, please? Yeah. So given how uh, AI systems today learn, like they are heavily depend dependent on data. So if you're mm-hmm. not already collecting data or if your processes are still paper-based, then Data infrastructure is a big uh, pillar in your AI preparation. And you don't have to start off um, fancy. You just have to make sure that you're doing the basics to start with. Like if you're using paper processes, why not shift to Excel? Um, if you're not collecting data, think about where which are the areas that AI could benefit and start collecting data in those areas. Um, so that's one huge pillar, the data infrastructure mm-hmm. pillar. Then there is the um, uh, cultural pillar. Um, that's 
like addressing some of the fears around AI because the, a good percentage of uh, Americans are fearful of AI and a, and a research has actually shown that. Mm-hmm. I've quoted that in my book. Um, so you want to put the fears to rest so that companies can actually um, start looking into the benefits of AI as opposed to fearing AI. Um, then there's also understanding um, what's development around AI. Like that's also a cultural element. It's very experimental. It's very iterative. So you need to establish those cultural elements. Um, yeah. So those are the two big pillars: okay. data and culture. Yeah. What I follow up on that that fear angle. Oftentimes, you know, just kind of the way that mm-hmm. that humans are wired, we fear the unknown, whatever whatever that is. Uh, is this what's at at play here? Is it simply that that most people don't know? about an, enough about AI to, to feel comfortable with it? Or is it something kind of spookier where they envision, you know, giant supercomputers and robots and everybody, you know, or things like that, you know, kind of taking over the world with, with information and, you know, brains mimicking my brain and, yeah. and so on and so, you know, uh, yeah. what, what is it that, that, uh, you know, I know you're not a psychologist, but in, in your take, what is it that people fear about the, the subject of AI? So um, there are some celebrities out there that are spreading this type of information that mm-hmm. um, it will take over our jobs and later yeah. humanity. It can be used for bad things. And some of it is true. Like AI can be used unethically. But taking over humans, that's untrue because AI systems today don't have the common sense reasoning uh, as humans do. They can't read body language. They don't natively understand emotions. They can't read it between the lines and just connect the dots like humans can. But on very specific tasks, AI systems can be very effective and can even surpass human accuracy. So the misunderstanding is that these AI uh, systems can become conscious like humans and then start making decisions that can overpower humans. I've seen that uh, that is a real fear, really. Um, and that actually even came up when I was trying to hire one of my, um, n- the narrators from one for my book. Mm-hmm. And she stated, Hey, we are, I was afraid to audition for this book because there's so much of fear about AI in our community. So it's, it's widespread. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I can think of a, a, yeah. a couple of Hollywood movies where, you know, the machines are, are kind of plotting ex machina yeah. is actually one of them where a machine plots to take over, you know, the, the the mind and and world of uh of the founder or the inventor of the machine so uh so yeah hollywood has has definitely taken that theme and and uh i'm sure some some media outlets as well you talk about uh back to the book you talk about uh what you call vanity ai i know you know anything that's kind of in the 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 zeitgeist or that becomes uh you know a, a kind of a, a thing uh be social media or anything else uh there are companies that will just kind of glom onto that not in a real authentic sense but just to say hey yeah we guess what yeah you you know we do AI too mm-hmm. uh, what talk about vanity AI <laughs> yeah vanity AI happens a lot and a lot within large corporations especially. Because there's a rush to adopt AI, and as that right. trickles down, 
the latter, people think think that they just need to use AI. And and the way companies start using AI today is just by looking at data, seeing what data is available, and then coming up with problems based on data. But the problem with that approach is that it tells you nothing about the inefficiencies within the company. Like what problem really is it solving? What pain point is it addressing? Uh, so because of that, um, the AI projects don't necessarily solve real business challenges. And then executives don't see the value from it. And then they start distrusting AI as a whole, that it's useless, it's just hype. Uh, but really, there's not enough planning around it. Like, for what problems are we applying AI? So I'm in, you know, I'm in the, the content creation, marketing, mm-hmm. messaging business, and I use data all the time to, to inform my content, whether it be, you know, page views or, or how long people engage with content, uh, you know, download, downloads, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. We have lots of ways to measure the way that, that people interact with our marketing, with our messaging mm-hmm. is, is there, do you draw a distinct line between what, what I would call, you know, data driven decision making and AI? Am I using AI a little bit when I, when I make those, those content decisions or, or is it just something completely different? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, AI can serve to, um, uh, grand purposes. One is to improve efficiency within businesses, and one is to help uh, make better decisions. And if you look at our data, we have a lot of structured data, things that are fit neatly in an Excel spreadsheet. And then we have lots of unstructured data, like all the Twitter comments, um, all the documents within your company, uh, your customer support conversations, all of that is completely unstructured. So when you're doing um, data-driven uh, trying to extract data-driven insights, you can just use your structured data. And that I call, refer to as simple data analytics. But mm-hmm. to make deeper decisions, like what are your customers complaining about? Uh, what's your top wish list? You need that unstructured data. And you can't really um, aggregate unstructured data like you do structured data. You need some form of AI on that. And specifically, a branch of AI called natural language processing that tries to make sense of all that text data and then extract key elements that you can later make sense of and inform decisions like what are my customers' top pain points, wish list. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Well, certainly, the I mean, uh, regardless of, of how you uh, achieve it, certainly from... Uh, you know, a customer service perspective, a marketing perspective, the more we know about our audience, our mm-hmm. prospects, our consumers, you know, the, the better we're going to be and, and the bigger competitive advantage we have, right? Yeah, that's right. not just, yeah. So when you first came to uh, University of Southern California to get a master's in computer science, did you, were you hearing about AI kind of like from your first day in, in school? Was AI uh, a big thing in, in the, the halls of uh, computer science classes a long, a, a while ago? So USC is a special breed. They were mm-hmm. so much into AI, even when I joined. So okay. that's how I got exposed to this whole field. I took one natural language processing class under a professor and I was hooked. I, I really, yeah, yeah, I was, I, I <laughs> liked it. So then I went on to doing my PhD in the field and then became a data scientist. 
But within USC, AI was a big thing. So within so, academic uh, institutions, AI has been a big thing since, I guess, long ago. And and you've been at the, the consulting uh, game for 15 years, give or take, and working with five, Fortune 500 companies as well as some smaller organizations. When you first, you know, when, when you got your freshly minted degrees and kind of went out into the business world, were, were people conversant about AI? Did you have to do a lot of educating? Tell me about kind of the landscape when you, yeah. when you first started. So when I first started, AI was um, not known in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to become a software engineer because there was no prospect for AI right after I graduated uh, with my master's. Um, so I did my PhD thinking that I'll go into a research lab to mm-hmm. maybe use some AI. But around 2013 is where big data science started to really um, become a thing. So then I jumped on to uh, the whole data science field where I could apply AI. So it's only around 2013, 2011, where AI became a thing in the industry. But before mm-hmm. that, as a job, it had no real pro- prospects. We've, we've spent a little bit of time today talking about both the, the past and the future. As you look into uh, to the future and to your crystal ball, what do you think is and, and conversely is not appropriate to expect uh, from AI? I think what we can expect is as the understanding around AI improves, I think all the mid-sized businesses are going to start yeah. using AI the right way. And also the non-tech companies are going to start embracing AI and start seeing value from it. Uh, But in the next few years, don't expect a conscious bot to be walking around. That's that's not going to happen in the next few years. And maybe not even this whole decade. So so these are the two things that are going to happen. Businesses are going to pick up on AI uh, a lot more. And research is going to improve around trying to mimic like human reasoning within an AI mm-hmm. system, but not to the point of it becoming conscious really. So yeah. you see it, you do see it filtering down into the mainstream and into smaller companies. Definitely. Though. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anything that, that you're concerned about as a, as a data scientist, as a software engineer, or someone who's, who's spent so much time around AI, uh, is there a, a potential? I mean, we don't know, you know, uh, the capacity for human beings sometimes, but is there something that you're uh, even as, as knowledgeable as you are that you're a little fearful of? So my fear, biggest fear is one bias in data. Mm-hmm. So that can propagate through AI systems because AI systems learn from data and bias has been shown to be very prevalent, like in facial recognition systems. So in fact, all some of the big tech companies stopped using uh, facial recommend, uh, recognition systems um, for law enforcement, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's one big problem, the bias in data. And the second problem is how people are using AI. Like we saw deep fakes, the recent mm-hmm. news about deep fakes, how people can uh, make you say things that you didn't really say and then make that to be reality. So the applications of AI really needs to be regulated. Otherwise, it's going to be used in unethical ways. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, talking about, you know, big tech and, and regulation, I live in Washington, DC, and, uh, that's obviously, uh, you know, in the, the pages of the Washington Post all the time about, you know, how we regulate, uh, these companies and social media. And that, uh, that could be a whole nother conversation. Yes. So, uh, thank, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you for having me, David. Kavita Gunnison, author of The Business Case for AI, A Leader's Guide to AI Strategies, Best Practices, and Real-World Applications. Thanks again to her, and uh, thanks to you for joining us as well. I'm David G. We'll see you next time. So long, everyone.